This week at Hope Point. Redemption is not just freeing somebody, but when they're free, then I'm going to take responsibility of caring for you the rest of my life, which is what God does until we get to heaven. Redemption is start to finish. For God to bring us to heaven, it wasn't free. For God to forgive us, it wasn't free. We had broken His laws. We had rebelled against His sovereignty. I mean, He's the King, and we said, we don't care. So we're stained with guilt. And in order for God to forgive us of our sins, His own law that He wrote demanded that His Son shed His blood on the cross. That was the price of our redemption. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as our teacher speaks to us from God's holy word. I can tell that most of you uh, came to church today with one thing on your mind. I hope the pastor uses a big word I don't understand. And I also know a follow-up question. You say, I hope that we study a Bible passage that uses dramatic symbols that are hard to understand. I, I have your needs met. If you are new to Hope Point, we are in the book of Revelation, which, which is the last book of the Bible, which was sent by God to comfort his church of how he was going to wrap things up in history and get his church home to heaven. If you're going to understand that book, there's really two things along the way that you really need to begin to just say, okay, I understand the book's going to speak in this way. You need to learn that the Bible uses this concept of writer uses this concept of recapitulation, and he loves to use symbols. Now, recapitulation is the big word that I told you I was going to use, and it simply means that the writer loves to tell the same story over and over again. Three times from Revelation 1 to 22, he brings us all the way to the end and gives us a glimpse of heaven before we get there, because he knows our faith is so weak he doesn't want us to wait till chapter 22. We might quit believing by then. So three times he pauses in the book to tell us about a big battle and then he shows the church in heaven. And that's, so just get used to the story going, recapitulating back and back and forth. And then of course, the, you know, the author loves to use symbols. Some of the major symbols in the book of Revelation that are, that are extravagant are a dragon, chasing a woman in the wilderness, a river spewing out of his mouth trying to drown her. I'm going to go on a limb and say, I think that's a symbol. Then, horse-sized locusts with human faces. Last night, we had a frog in our house. We could, didn't know why that happened in November. You got a frog in your house. But it was a normal-looking frog. Revelation, no animal ever looks normal. They're weird-looking. I think they're symbols. And then, at the end, a woman sitting on seven hills in a city. And when we read that earlier in our study, we said, you know, those are either small hills or that is a big woman. And we, we said that just to make the point, surely that is, is a symbol. So if you want to benefit from the book of Revelation, you have to grasp this, that he's using symbols not to confuse you, but to bring clarity Dramatic symbols in the book help us see the most important things with a new sense of clarity and urgency. It's like he's trying to shake us up so we'll pay attention to the war, to the war that's all around us so we won't treat life as, 
as trivial. It's all the symbols are for. It's just a shock factor in order for us to pay attention. Let's, with that said, let's dive into chapter 14, which has its fair share of symbols. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, sitting on a mount, sitting on mount, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's names written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths, and they are blameless. If you feel like you've seen this scene somewhere before in Revelation, this is what I'm talking about, the recapitulation. You saw this in chapter 7. Revelation 7, Revelation 14 is the same story of the 144,000 or the, what we said, the whole church from the resurrection of Christ till now gathered in heaven. The story of them arriving in heaven is told twice, actually three times in the book. But before I go back and look at how the Revelation 14 story was told in chapter 7. Let's just get started in chapter 14. And I want to do that by asking sort of a favorite few questions that, that Bible speakers, Bible teachers normally ask of every text. The who, the what, the where of Revelation 14. You, if you want to be a, a pretty good Bible teacher, you just, you just ask who, what, when, where, how of most every passage. And the passage sort of answers those. So let's start with the where of Revelation 14. Where does it take place? And that's in heaven. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So if I were to ask you today, what is the capital of Israel? You would say Jerusalem and you would be right. And in the book of Revelation, the capital of Jerusalem and Mount Zion are the same things. They're both described as Mount Zion. Let me tell you why they're one and the same. Years ago, an Israelite king named David conquered land that was called Zion. It was a fortress on a hill. And it was such a big victory for the people of Israel that forever and ever, they just called that place Mount Zion, even though David later called it Jerusalem. In other words, anytime they thought about Jerusalem, they thought about this mount, this armored place on a hill that God allowed them to conquer. And so they just called Jerusalem Mount Zion. And so when you get to the end of the book, when the writer says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, it's all talking about heaven, heaven, New Jerusalem, Mount Zion. So the reason I want you to know this, when you're looking at Revelation chapter 14, it is a description of heaven and all of us who are there. So that's the where of chapter 14. We're looking at heaven. Let's look at who is in Revelation 14. 
I looked and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, that's heaven, New Jerusalem, and with him 144,000 who had his name written on their heads. So if you come in here today and say, no, I don't like this symbol theory. I think everything in Revelation is, is literal. Dragons are literal. Locusts that are the size of horses with human faces are literal. I think this 144,000 is literal 144,000 people. Well, if you do, if you believe that, then later in the passage in chapter 14, which we read about, you have to believe the 144,000 who make it to heaven are Jewish male virgins. So when you're sitting here today and think about how beautiful these descriptions are of heaven in Revelation 14 and 7, it's not talking about people that you know. It's only talking about 144,000 select people, Jewish male virgins that, that made it. But once you see that it's not talking about 144,000, it's not ethnic Jews at all. It's talking about the completed plan of Israel, which includes the church. Then you start to go back and you see how beautiful it is that God is able to get his people home. And that's, once you go with this, you're going to be able to enjoy chapter 7 and chapter 14. Now, I preached on June 5th, 2022, I gave you five reasons that the 144,000, no way is it ethnic Israel. We don't have time to go back today, but it's important that you grasp that or you'll just think Revelation and 7, 7 and 14 have nothing to do with you, nothing to do with the church, just 144,000 Jewish male virgins. But then when we go back to Revelation 7, let me set it up this way. In chapter 6 of Revelation, the Bible talks about how difficult it is to live on earth. It talks about earthquakes and famine and war and martyrdom, the death of Christians by non-Christians. And at the end of Revelation 6, after talking about all of this pain, the writer asks an obvious question. Who in the world is able to endure, like you, believing in Jesus with all of this going on? This is how he says it. Revelation 6, 17, for the great day of the wrath has come and who can withstand it? Who is able to make it through earth? It's so hard. And then he answers the question in chapter 7, verse 1. Who's able to stand on a hard earth? Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed. This is the same number in Revelation 14. It's 144,000. It's recapitulation. It's just telling the same story twice. That the only way we're able to endure the calamities and the disappointments of earth is if God seals us by his Holy Spirit and keeps us believing. It's the only people who make it. Did the, did the 144,000 of Revelation 7 make it? They sure did. Look how Revelation 7 ends. These are they who've come out of the great tribulation. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, if you believe, the, if you're a person, no, it's just all literal. That's not about you. That's not about anybody that you've lost. This is about 144,000 Jewish male virgins 
But no, it's not about them. It's, it's John using a random number that you can go and learn about on June 5th, 2022 message that Richard Smith preached. It's all of the church is represented by the 144,000. And that's why this is so precious. After all of this calamity in Revelation 6, who can stand? Those whom God has sealed and claimed as his own. So then after he tells that story, he starts talking about other. He starts going back again and talking about how hard it is on earth. Except this time in Revelation 12 and 13, we don't see earthquakes, wars, and famines. We see an unholy trinity working to try to annihilate the church. That unholy trinity is called the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. It's Satan, probably the corruption of the state or the government working against the church, and some type of organized propaganda machine that fills people with such fear. They give their allegiance to the world, to the state, to anything but but Jesus. And so then, when you're reading Revelation 12 and 13, the intensity gets so hard, it's so hard to be a Christian in these days that we see this unholy trinity of evil even puts a mark on those who follow them. The false prophet, Revelation 13, forced all people to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, which is the name of the beast. And the Bible says you couldn't buy or sell you killed if you didn't have this. And so it's intimidation. Corrupt power of the state, propaganda machine in the world, get you all confused. And then you give your allegiance to the world to try to stay alive, be accepted by your friends and business associates. And you look at all of this and say, well, who can stand with all of this? Revelation 14 answers it just like it did in chapter 7. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So when you come to chapter 14, it's just a big contrast. You contrast those who are marked by Jesus Christ in chapter 14 with those who, who caved into the pressure of the world and were marked with Satan in chapter 13. That's what chapter 14 is about. The reason we make it to glory is because he marked us and didn't let us fall away. He told that story in chapter 6 and 7. He told that story again in chapter 13 and chapter 14. This brings us to the third. We answered where? It's in heaven. Who? The believing church. Now the what of Revelation 14. What does a believer in Jesus Christ look like? Because I want to be in Mount Zion. I want to be in that fortress. I want to be in the new Jerusalem. I want to be in heaven. How will I know that I'm there? Well, Revelation 14 describes what a Christian looks like. We can only get to some of it today, but I'll go ahead and give you the, the longer answer that we find in those five verses. A Christian is a God-applauding Christ-following, purity-seeking, truth-speaking, redeemed human. All of that comes out of the first five verses of Revelation 14. And all that we're going to do today is we're going to look at those who applaud God because he has redeemed them. That's all we have time for today before we do the Lord's Supper. What is it 
that causes us to sing with fervor in this place to applaud God. And it's the story of our, of our redemption. So that'll be the theme of what is a Christian not like? It's somebody who applauds God, celebrates God for their redemption. Let's look at, let's look at our singing in Revelation 14. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters. You've probably heard this if you went to the mountains this fall to look at leaves, waterfalls. Just think about a million waterfalls. And then like the loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. I don't even know, I don't even know what this means. Because there, there's one girl... It, Meredith Mankey in our church that plays the harp beautifully. And I've been to her house, been to their house to listen to her. You know, it's like, it's beautiful, but I wouldn't say it sounds like thunder. But in heaven, music is nothing like this. I mean, it was like that third song, gonna be like our last song and fourth song. but so much better. It's so much better. It's like this. How in the world do you combine the beauty of a harp, but it comes out with the pop of thunder and lightning? God will do that. That's why heaven will never be boring. Look at what is waiting for us. But what really makes the loudness of heaven, see how loud it is? Roar of rushing waters and what really makes heaven loud is our singing and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders and no one learned the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth you say well what's what's that song well I don't know it's because it's new but in the, in the Psalms, every time something great happened to David, he, he would write by saying, oh Lord, you've given me a new song, like a new way of loving you and seeing you. And it's all over the Psalms, this concept of new song. And I, I like all the times that he uses it, but I really like that Psalm 144, 9, because he, he uses the word new song in the context of deliverance from pain. I will sing a new song to you, my God. I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David from the deadly sword, deliver me, rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies and whose right hands are deceitful. Can you imagine the day in heaven when we get to praise God because we get to celebrate that every single blessing in our life, we see the literal hand from which all those blessings flowed. We see his, the one who delivered us. Even, even when we went through perilous times of disease and death and accidents, we, see, we will see the God who got us through that, strengthened us enough, and eventually took to heaven. And, and we see the God who had a plan, who was over all energy, and over all molecules, and over all blood vessels, and over everything that moved had to report to him. And we'll see how God delivered his church and got his church, got his church home. 
So our new song is about praising God for getting us through every one of the things on earth that worked against us and hurt us and got us to Mount Zion. That's our new song. Let me give you an example of, of how, how your heart just overflows when, when God, you see God do something, you go, whoop, that was God. Our students are at a retreat this weekend at Black Mountain. And normally when you think, okay, there's a student retreat, you would say, well, we know that, that, that our student pastor is with them because it's a student retreat. You follow? <laughs> he's not there because he's sick. He'd been planning this thing for four to six months. Dylan wanted so much to be in Black Mountain with the students. Friday, early morning, then progressed through the day, sicker and sicker and couldn't go. And Olivia's wife, she was going to go, obviously, but Dylan's sick, children are sick. So that, they're heartbroken. They're heartbroken. Um, well, it would have been worse than that than just having a broken heart, but because they were two of our drivers. So you got two vehicles, two drivers, which meant luggage, two. If you knock out two at like three o'clock in the afternoon, you're just not going. It's hard to call somebody at the last minute and say, would you spend your weekend with some kids? So, but about three weeks ago, Dylan had said to me, I would really like to bless the kids in some way. If for some reason, this, our first trip in 20 years, could we rent a bus, a charter bus? And they were either all taken or they were too expensive. And so I called a man that I said, okay, I, I know he might know how to help us out. He called back and said, I can't. I don't have that. That's not a connection. Uh, I can't do that. But what I can do is, he's not a member here. Could I provide the money to rent anything you need? And so here these kids are coming to church and look what shows up. <laughs> look at that. So I wrote Dylan and Olivia, you know, that, that day and said, you know, just, you know, so heartbroken for you, but so grateful of, because you dared to dream way in advance that God did something really, really mighty and and uh, right when Olivia got a little bit afraid that I might be giving her credit for this, she fires back with this. Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Here's a girl sitting at home crying that she can't be with her students and her husband can't be with her students. And she's praising God because of his love and faithfulness. That's all we're going to do in heaven. All these tears just up in heaven say, God, you, you were in it all. Never understood it on earth, never liked it on earth. But, but the bus came. But eventually, God, the bus came and got us to, got us to, to, to glory. But as we see in Revelation, the new song that we, we sing there is not about chartered buses. <laughs> it's a little bit bigger. <laughs> it's about something called redemption. 
Revelation 14, no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They were purchased, same word as redeemed, from among mankind. Anytime you see the word in redeemed in heaven, you probably know, it's a finance word. It's impossible to, redeem always means to rescue, but to rescue that costs you. Define it this way. Redeem means to free someone from a situation in which they are trapped by a circumstance or oppressed by a person. And in order to free that person, there's a cost that has to be paid. So the story of the Bible is the story of God continually sacrificing and paying a price in order to rescue us from situations that were too powerful for us. The ultimate example of his redemption is when he freed his people in the second book of the Bible from slavery in Egypt. This is how God said it. Exodus 6, 6, I am the Lord and I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slave to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with, a, with mighty acts of judgment and I will take you as my own people and I will be your, your, your God. This is the whole story of the Bible. God in mercy coming to people who were in trouble and God making a sacrifice to get them out. So what was the sacrifice there? Well, God said to Israel on the night before he came, said, I'm going to free you tomorrow, but everybody that's going to be freed tomorrow, tonight, they have to sacrifice a lamb, <clears throat> shed its blood in, in, the, in, their, in front of their house, put the, the blood in front of their house. Now, Israel at that time was two and a half million people large. <clears throat> That's, you know, a million lambs, and all of them were provided by God. So he does the redeeming, and he does the paying. You're starting to see this story of redemption is beautiful. God frees us, and he does it by making a sacrifice. There's another story of redemption that's a little bit more down to earth in the Bible. It's, it's in the book of Ruth. It's a story of a man named Boaz. He was a redeemer in this story. The word redemption or redeemer is used about 20 times in the small book. <clears throat> Boaz was a farmer, rich, looking out in his land. He sees a woman starving to death, looking for food after the harvest is over. He finds out she's a widow. Her name is Ruth. And she had been married to one of his relatives. And according to Leviticus 25, his obligation when a woman is in that desperate of trouble is to redeem her, which means pay, pay off any debts she has, um, buy her freedom if she's enslaved, um, provide for her future needs, and even marry her. Do you see the picture now of what it means for God to redeem people? He's so involved with us that the Bible refers to it as God and his church as a marriage. That's how committed. Redemption is not just freeing somebody, but when they're free, you say, I'm going to take responsibility 
of caring for you the rest of my life, which is what God does until we get to heaven. Redemption is start to finish. Start to finish purchase. For God to bring us to heaven, it wasn't free. For God to forgive us, it wasn't free. We had broken his laws. We had rebelled against his sovereignty. I mean, he's the king and we said, we don't care. So we're stained with guilt. And in order for God to forgive us of our sins, his own law that he wrote demanded that his son shed his blood on the cross. That was the price of our redemption. That's what we're going to sing about forever. We met Jesus in this context earlier in Revelation where he was described as this lamb that was sacrificed for us. Revelation 5, 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. This is Jesus. We saw that way back then. Encircled by the four living creatures and they sang a new song. Saying, with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's what we sing about over and over again, no matter how much life hurts. We see how good and glorious and beautiful God is, that he would so love us that he would send his son to bleed for us. Somebody sent me a picture this week. Uh, on, they texted a picture that I had posted on Facebook November 3rd of 2014. I didn't even, I know that date. I did not remember the picture or the post. So it was a picture. I was in a hospital, not for me, but for somebody I loved very much. They were in trouble. And I looked out a window of that hospital and saw a picture, and saw that cross. My heart was hurting. When I looked at that cross, I took a picture of it. And then this was my Facebook post that day, November 3rd, 2014. Nothing seems to gladden the heart more than looking out a window and seeing a cross through which God says, I am 100% committed to you. That's what redemption says. God, through the blood of Jesus, no matter what he has asked of you, I am 100% committed to you from start to finish. I'm going to get you to heaven. I'm going to get you to Mount Zion. I'm going to get you to the New Jerusalem. One of the easiest ways to understand redemption, like, what's that word mean? It's very clear in Ephesians 1, 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Then Paul defines it. The forgiveness of sins. So what's redemption? The forgiveness of sins that's purchased. Whenever I want to travel, and, and I choose to travel, and I'm traveling by Delta, I go to the website to, and check my Delta Sky Miles for an upgrade because I want a better seat. And so... If you go to the Delta Sky Miles website, and I don't know if you know anything about Delta Sky Miles, but here's how it works. You could get them by traveling, or you can have a credit card that anytime you spend money, you get some miles. And this is how it works. My wife can spend a million dollars 
on our credit card and I get a free flight to Gaffney <laughs> on my Delta Sky Miles. That's how it works. But it's interesting that, that they use the word redeem. Would you like to redeem your miles? That means, yeah, I have this bank of miles. And if I'm willing to let go of them, I get a better seat. I have to make that exchange. God, from the beginning of time, saw us mired in our sin, our guilt, shame, and all of the other things that are part of earth the calamities, the accidents, the disease, the inability to defeat death. God saw all of that. And in order to redeem us in his account was the blood of Christ. And he said, I'm willing to make that exchange. The blood of my son for your freedom from death and from guilt and from hell. This is the heart of redemption in the Bible. And this is what we're going to be singing about for all of history. Now, you may be saying, I'm just not in that music. Let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, you're going to be filled with new capacities, with a new understanding of God. You don't even have to worry about it. You're going to be able to sing. It's going to be the most natural, ongoing activity you're ever engaged in. It's amazing that no one else among the earth sings this song. I think sometimes this is why the 144,000 might be mentioned, just to remind us that out of all the people that have ever lived, not a whole lot of people will, percentage-wise, are going to be in heaven. They have no interest in singing the song of the redeemed. They have no interest in singing a song of praise to Jesus Christ for the shedding of his blood, for the forgiveness of our lust and anger and greed and envy and bitterness. That's all we want to do. So Jesus, thank you for the blood. And let me sing it again. Thank you for the blood. And let me sing it again. Thank you for the blood. And I love how this is, says, we were redeemed from among the earth. Like, we were redeemed from people just like us. We were just as sinful, just as rebellious, just as ungrateful, just as lost. But there came a day in which God spoke so loudly that we heard. His light penetrated our hearts so strongly that we saw and he breathed into our souls that were dead life and all of a sudden our response was, yes, redeem me. And we forever will thank the Lord that he, he included us in Mount Zion. We look outside and we see all the gate, the, the gates, outside of the gates, we see enemies, death, disease, crime, violence, those who mock holiness, those who hate the church, those who hate Jesus, all locked outside the gate. And we say, but I should be outside the gate. But I'm inside the gate because I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Even when we quit believing, even when we quit serving, resented God, doubted God, rebelled against God, when he made a decision to redeem us, he said, I will not quit on you. I will get you to Zion. I will get you to heaven. 
I'll get you to the new Jerusalem. The greatest news in all of history is that we've been redeemed just like years ago was put into a song by Big Daddy Weave who said, seems like all I can see was the struggle haunted by ghosts that lived in my past, bound up in shackles of all my failures, wondering how long this is going to last. Then you looked at this prisoner and said to me, and say to me, stop, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. Let me read that again. Then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. I am redeemed. And then he closes with this thought. So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain, because I'm not who I used to be. I am redeemed. Every stain will be wiped away. Every chain will fall off. All because of the blood of Christ from start to finish redeems us. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.